Welcome to episode 272 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome to another episode. Welcome back. How you doing, Marshall? Pretty good. You know, it's been a it's been a crazy week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So given that, we'll try and keep this episode uh, a little tight, especially coming from last week. I think last week was super fun, but we went really long. I don't even... What was the final time on that one, Marshall? Uh, it's a little over an hour, I think. Okay. Which was cut down from an hour and a half of actual real time. Cool. Well, we can jump straight into the episode. We don't have any sponsors this week, so we can just get right into some follow-up. Indeed, Rooney. So I wanted to quickly touch on something that came up. I believe it's been the last couple of weeks, and I guess this comes up all the time on, on Twitter, but it's this topic of the junior designer label. And I think it's interesting because it seems as though as an industry, we are very scared to use the term junior. And I think it really only gets applied to people who are basically not in the industry and trying to break into their first job. But certainly in my experience, I've noticed that the transition from a quote-unquote junior to a quote-unquote senior is on the order of like single-digit years, which I find odd, but also the landscape is such that if you don't start calling yourself a senior designer within a few years, it feels as though you've fallen behind. So hmm. I want to get your take on this, Marshall. If, if you've seen or experienced anything like this, and then I don't know if, if Google has any sort of titling like this. I remember Facebook didn't really have titling to kind of avoid this problem. Yeah, there's no there's no junior titling. There is senior and I think above that is staff and then you get to like director level, but can you get there in in 10 years of your career? Is that a possibility? Let's ignore Google and talk more globally. Yes. Okay. Yeah, totally. Like I think because we call positions senior designer positions, it only makes sense that the you know, the corollary to senior is is junior. So it makes sense to call someone a junior designer to distinguish them from a, a senior designer, right? I, I, no, I get what you're saying. I, I suppose my quandary with this is the rate at which someone goes from one to the other. And I guess I don't have many data points from other industries, but it does seem a little strange that one could be considered senior in their early 20s. Does that not ring strange to you at all? So at my last company... I got up to a, a senior designer position, but I, I lost some of that when I transferred to Google, despite having eight years of experience. So, Well, there you go, right? Yeah, but I think that's kind of normal for, especially in the Bay Area, like you kind of take a ding whenever you go from one place to another. It's This is all like very anecdotal and... Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, we're just two people. Every Every case is different, I assume. As far as like going from one position to the next, I know there's kind of an average time per level at Google that is, you know, calculated based on all of the people that have gone from one level to another. And sure. I think it averages to about two to three years per level. So if you come in at a three, you know, you can expect it'll be the better part of a decade before you get to uh, a senior or a staff position. Sure. What do you think about people self-assigning the term junior when they're applying for jobs versus just saying, I'm a designer looking for a job? Do you think it's it's harmful to say, I'm a junior designer looking for a job? Yeah, unless you're right out of college, I would never call yourself a junior designer. Even if you technically are. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would never downsell yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you don't know what junior means in the mind of the person that is reading that resume, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the problem, I think, here is like, what's the expectation around what it means to be junior and senior? Mm -hmm. Yeah, junior means something different to every person, probably. So right, right. applying that label to yourself is 
potentially uh, hamstringing yourself. So yeah, I, w- I would just stay away from that. Usually junior is a, a term applied by someone else to the quote unquote junior designer, right? Rarely do junior designers call themselves that unless they're like straight out of college and very self-aware about their, it's like the um, Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. Can you explain it for the listeners? <laughs> oh, put me on the spot. It's where people think Oh, oh you know about this? Yeah. What is it, Brian? Go ahead and say it. No, I believe that you know it. Just go ahead and describe it for me. <laughs> well, now I'm going to biff it. It's something about people think that they're smarter than the average person, right? Loosely. Give me some credit there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give or take. Now, Marshall, Mr. Dictionary, t- tell me the real answer to the Dunning-Kruger effect. Imagine an XY grid, right? So on the x-axis is knowledge. And then vertical is one's self-assessment of that knowledge. So the way the graph goes is it skyrockets to a very high point very early on, and it dips down very low, and then it slowly makes its way back up as you move from left to right. So early on, when someone's learning something, you very quickly feel as though you know everything. Mm -hmm. But the more you know the more you realize you don't know. Yeah, so those are referred to, that first peak is referred to as Stupid Mountain. (laughs) And then it's followed by the Valley of Doubt. Oh, yeah. So you learn enough to realize just how uninformed you are. You start to see the experts and you start to realize, wow, they have such a bigger wealth of knowledge than I do. So you immediately like, oh, yeah, I know a little bit about this. I I feel like, yeah, I'm pretty pretty knowledgeable. Oh, no, I don't know anything. And then it's a slow climb up to actually feeling like you do know something. And usually, I think the way it works is the more expert you are at a subject, the more likely you are to write yourself lower than your actual level. Well, if I was to draw my own uh, plot of my knowledge of the Dunning-Kruger effect on a Dunning-Kruger effect chart, I would be on Dumb Mountain or whatever it is. <laughs> Stupid Mountain, yeah. Stupid Mountain. Idiot, idiot Mountain, something, I forget the... Idiot Mountain doesn't even know the definition. Yeah, well, you would expect that line to go linearly from bottom right. left to top right, but it does not. And being aware of this phenomenon is a really great thing, knowing that like, if you feel that you're comfortable in a subject, but you don't have that many hours in it, you're probably on Stupid Mountain right now. <laughs> but even if you're on Stupid Mountain, it still seems okay to drop the label stupid and just, you know, internally know that you're on Stupid Mountain, but externally portray that you are on the incline of wisdom or whatever we call that last bit. Junior Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so once you get past that peak, I think you're in that peak when you're in college because you're surrounded by a bunch of other people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So if you're at the top of your class, you might feel like you're on stupid mountain, which is just normal mountain at the time. But once you get out into the workforce and you realize the the level of expertise out there, you start to realize, you start to doubt yourself and then you end up in that valley of doubt and slowly work yourself out over the coming decades. I feel like I'm still working myself out of the valley of doubt. I hate everything I do. That's where I live. I live in that valley. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's my home. I hope to somehow see the valley from above by the time I die, literally. Like, I guess that's the long term goal is to just climb out of that with a few subjects, right? Yeah. If you would consider yourself a junior designer, if you're just coming out of school, if you just started at your first gig, don't call yourself junior. But if other people call you junior, don't get offended. Uh, My advice is usually just drop the label junior and just say you're a designer and your interview will, in theory, set the proper expectations of what your role will be. Yeah. If you truly are a junior designer, it will be apparent based on your performance. Yeah. So don't, don't shoot yourself in the foot before you even get to demonstrate that. Cool. And then did you have a little bit of follow-up as well from last week? Yeah, so um, 
I, I was a bit disappointed that no one uh, sent us their own principles. That was something I was very much looking forward to, and we're still open to that. If you if you think of anything from the last episode that that would apply as a design principle, we shared so many. Maybe we just uh, took all of the good ones. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody went to Laws of UX and just tweeted us the things we didn't talk about. Low hanging fruit, y'all. Anyways, uh, but one of the things I wanted to talk about was something that kind of came up tangentially in the conversation which was something that I refer to as slow versus pro. And this is the idea of when creating new patterns or when implementing an existing pattern, if that pattern that you're implementing is sufficiently complex or sophisticated, you should probably account for a slower version of that same flow. So for example, uh, I think we brought up the uh, idea of long pressing on the new tab icon in Safari, and it brings up an action sheet that includes a uh, new tab, but it also includes new incognito tab or whatever it's called, um, or close all tabs. That you can do both of those things through a longer, slower process, a longer, slower flow. But if you are a pro user, if you're a power user, you can figure out that you can long press on this icon and, and, and get shortcuts to it. So one of the things that I would bring up is that if you're implementing a pro design, you better make sure that you also have a slow design or a pro flow versus a slow flow. Have you ever taken this into consideration, Brian? No, I don't think I've ever heard it framed quite like that. I would say it's usually like, I mean, kind of what you described, there's either shortcuts or they're not. Usually it, it seems like it's uh, keyboard shortcuts, right? Like if you're using Figma or Sketch, the pros never use the mouse, right? Yeah, that's a great example, keyboard shortcuts. You can navigate the entire canvas with your keyboard. Same thing with programmers, right? Like a pro would probably be using like a Vim and never touches the trackpad and, and a slow is trackpadding around and clicking on files and things like that. It's like watching your parents double click a web link or something <laughs> like that. Like um, if you've ever watched someone use Photoshop and they go to like the zoom tool, they go over to the <laughs> to the tool panel and click on the zoom tool and then click and drag a region to zoom in and then click back on oh. the select tool. It's like, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> command plus, command plus, or hold Z and then yeah. drag your region and let yeah, go yeah. and it's sticky keys, like, and then hit V to go back to the select tool. Like, what are you doing? So that's where if you see someone doing that in an interview, that's how you can identify a junior. <laughs> yep. Those things will be apparent. But yeah, the, the pro shortcuts there are just things that you learn with experience, right? And it seems like a lot of the, well, if I'm, if I'm having to guess here, the pro interactions like long holding on the new tab icon in Safari, a lot of that's accidental discovery or it's the pros getting frustrated with things being slow that they just sort of futz their way to discovering how to make it faster because it never gets described, right? Like there's not a tutorial in iOS Safari for here's how to close all of your tabs very quickly. Yeah. And, and I think this is why people um, drag on uh, 3D touch so much is because it's inherently undiscoverable. You just have to try it on things and see if it works or not. Right. The whole pop, peek and pop thing. All right. So this week, we're just going to do a quick recap of the Apple event from last week, I guess, at this point, we're recording this just a few days afterwards. But Apple this week uh, announced a revamped uh, MacBook Air, the new iPad Pro, and an upgraded Mac Mini. So Marshall, do you have first impressions? Are these all devices that you feel are going to enter your home at some point? Yeah, I have a Mac Mini in the closet in the office. <laughs> I bought the new iPad Pro, the big one, with a keyboard and a pencil. That pencil looks awesome. So the, the MacBook Air, every two years at Google, you can update your uh, laptop 
uh, or whatever hardware you use. And it's been three years since I updated mine because the new MacBooks are such utter shit. I don't care about the touch bar, whatever it's called. It takes away my my physical escape key, which I hit thousands of times a day uh, using Sketch. I hit I hit escape so many fucking times a day and not having it be physical is a deal breaker for me. Although that Touch ID thing is really cool, which is why this MacBook Air seems so appealing to me. It's small, it's portable, it has a physical escape key, but it also has that Touch ID thing. Yes, but it has the new keyboard. Yeah, I know that's the other deal breaker thing. But I, I need a new, I need a new laptop. Mine is just too old. Uh, it's time to upgrade, but I, I can't justify doing it one of the Touch Bar Macs. So I think this will probably be the one. We'll see though. Okay. But yeah, I'm stoked about all this shit. Like, uh, th- this seems like a hobby. The only thing that's missing is the um, Apple TV, but it seems like a, it seems like a hobby event, right? Like the iPad isn't their main mobile device. The MacBook Air isn't their main laptop. The Mac Mini isn't their main desktop. You know? Yeah, that's fair. But I was happy to see all these products get some love. Did you have a chance to look at the iPad Pro website on Apple? I did not. Let's talk about the uh, design of this page. Someone called out that we should mention this because this landing page for an Apple product is buck wild and I've never seen them do anything quite like this. Uh, I spent actually <laughs> quite a while poking around the in- inspect element on their website trying to figure oh, out how they were doing Oh my God, it goes things. horizontally, Brian. <laughs> there we go. Reactions in real time. But look at, the, uh, look at the scroll bar. Look at the scroll bar on the right side. It looks like a normal scroll bar. Yeah, but it's moving up and down. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. While the content's going side to side. So I figured yeah, yeah. I figured they had to be doing something where they had one element that was transformed 90 degrees and then every child element was transformed back 90 degrees or whatever it would be to to end up with this horizontal scroll. But I actually spent some time and I couldn't quite figure out how they managed to keep scrolling the way they did where the whole page goes sideways until you get to the bottom and then it sticks and then it goes back to a vertical scrolling view at the bottom of the page. There is some bizarre, bizarre animations and transitions going on here, but I, I just don't know why. Why? So this is something I played around with a long time ago, and I determined it was such a bad interaction <laughs> that I never <laughs> went through with it. So it's fascinating <laughs> to see a company like Apple do this. I mean, it's implemented well. Yeah. And I have a mouse that will, the scroll wheel tilts to the left and right. So I can horizontal scroll and it still works. Yep. Horizontal scroll and vertical scroll both work. Do the same thing. The scroll bar moves the right way. But there is no horizontal scroll. Oh, as I'm, as I'm holding it, the vertical scroll bar isn't updating as I horizontal scroll. If you horizontal scroll, the scroll bar goes away. If you vertical scroll, the scroll bar appears, but it has jumped to the position that you actually are. This is crazy, Brian. Technically wise, that's not a good wording, but technically wise, (laughs) it's impressive because we're sitting here just like, how the fuck did they do that? But from a usability perspective, I remember when I first opened this on my phone, they give you a little tooltip that says, swipe sideways to discover more about the iPad Pro. And I, I just couldn't believe that they'd sort of broken the convention of a web page like this. There has to be a reason why they did this. It can't just be because it's cool, right? right? So as soon as I saw this, I started trying to think, like, what is the reason here? And the first thing that came to mind was they must be trying to explain some sort of metaphor about what using an iPad would be like. But that's not really true because it's not as though iPads are horizontally scrolled machines. They're still vertically oriented 
uh, in terms of, you know, we still scroll up and down on web pages and, and in apps and things like that. So I, I missed that metaphor. And then I, I couldn't think of a reason to do this besides it's a visually interesting, different marketing page that they've done before. Can you come up with anything? Yeah, it's unique. I'm looking at it on my phone now to see if there's any difference. Well, no, it's vertical on my phone. Really? When I first opened it on my phone on, on announcement day, it was still horizontal. I wonder if they ran into usability issues and undid it. And the because of that, the parallax feels like it's all sorts of messed up. Yep, they switched it. For, it was for sure horizontal on my phone. I very distinctly remember that. Wait, dude, I did it. Turn your phone sideways. So if you go landscape on your phone, it reloads the page. Mm-hmm. And then there is a arrow on the right side of the screen that says swipe, swipe to the right. And then you enter a right side scrolling view. And you cannot scroll vertically while you are in landscape mode. I don't know, man. <laughs> And then when you get to the bottom of the page, you can't scroll vertically when it gets to the vertically oriented content. Oh, here you go. Here you go. You can get stuck. So if you scroll horizontally to the end of the page, you cannot scroll back up to get back to the iPad content. They broke their own website. So now I'm swiping horizontal. I'm scrolling horizontally and the page is moving vertically. Oh, Brian, no. Yeah, I'm truly stuck. I can't scroll in either left, right, up or down. And if I scroll down, uh, all it does is move the nav bar down. Well, Marshall, as far as podcast content goes, this maybe isn't as interesting to other people as it is to us. So I would encourage people <laughs> to play with it. So maybe does anything come to mind as why they would do this? Otherwise, we can slot this away in the mystery that is Apple web design. My first thought before I realized that it worked in vertical when your phone is in portrait mode, my first thought was like, well, maybe the the way that they wanted to lay out the information lent itself better to a widescreen display. So I don't know, man. Maybe they anticipated everyone viewing the marketing page for the iPad on an iPad. Here's the thing. I bet it looks really fucking awesome on an iPad. <laughs> this is really fun to scroll on on an iPad. I bet. I bet it is. <laughs> I mean, I have an ultra wide monitor on my PC here, so it's super wide. It's base, it's wider than an iPhone 10 in landscape aspect ratio wise. It's like Maybe super wide. their their ultra wide visitor count increased, and this is the new default format. Yeah, by by point one percent, skyrocket. Yeah, this is a good example. the The pencil section, the Apple pencil section, basically spans the width of my screen, uh, with a little bit peaking on either side, but that would not lend itself to a vertical screen. It almost would de-emphasize this section. I see. Um, I, unless they put the pen vertical, in which case they'd have to account for multiple landscape and portrait orientation differences. And it looks cool, but it, it's <laughs> baffling. And here's the cool thing, though. Like, I, I will praise this one part, which is the thing you would normally do, which is scroll down, and the thing that you would do if you know that it's an option, which is scroll to the right. Both of those things work. So like it's not unusable unless you're getting stuck in a weird case like unless you, were you stuck are in, but... browsing the internet in landscape mode on your phone, in which case you are probably an edge case. Have you ever done that? Browsed in landscape? Never ever. And actually, I remember yeah. now I noticed it because I was in bed when I woke ah. up and they had announced the iPad Pro. Like laying on your side and it automatically rotated. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. Anything else worth calling out from the Apple? Then I thought I thought it was all actually just solid announcements great new products or upgrades to existing products a lot of them long overdue specifically the macbook air finally getting a retina display but 
everything made sense and seems like great options for people who who want more powerful tools. You know, iPad going to USB-C is definitely an interesting direction from the mobile lineup perspective. Yeah, that's huge. Like if that ever makes it to the phone, that's going to be a big deal. That's my guess. I mean, we're in a talk phase right now, right? Mm -hmm. You know the, the, yeah. the terminology I'm using? We're on the S phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this happens on Mac too. There's this TikTok thing where you have a brand new version that's Lion, and then you have a talk <laughs> phase which is mountain lion, <laughs> mountain lion, and there you have leopard, and then snow leopard. You have Sierra, high Sierra. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you. All of these things. Yeah, and and you have like the ten, ten S, five, five S, whatever. So we're in a talk phase now, which makes me think that when we go back to the next phase, which will be a tick, that will be a major change instead of just minor performance upgrades. Yeah. So if they're gonna do it next phone will be the one to do it. And I hope they do. I'd like to reduce my cord options. I've so I have like micro USB, mini USB, lightning, inductive charging. <laughs> I have the old Apple laptop uh, MagSafe connector, but I also have USB-C for for Virginia's, you know, for when I'm sitting on the couch. Yeah, there's there's too many too many standards right now. I would love to just go to USB-C or Thunder, Thunderbolt 3, whatever the hell they call it. I would love to just go to one plug for everything please please but yeah I, I thought this was a good event they had a lot of female presenters which is something that they've been doing a lot lately which is cool i hate the third party presenters those are almost always 100 cringe super cringe every time and if they're not cringe they're very sycophantic <laughs> Okay, so if I'm going to interpret this from what you said is the third-party presenters feel as though they are indentured servants to Apple and are having to show off this new tech lest they get removed from the featured section of the App Store. Basically, yeah. It's like every time Adobe goes up there, every time a, a, a third-party game developer goes up there, they're like, the incredible power of the new Apple product is better than anything <laughs> the ever. The new A12 <laughs> processor. Which is interesting because in a lot of the latest Google announcements, they don't even mention stats. Like, they don't even mention hardware. It's to the point now where nobody gives a shit about how much RAM there is. Like, it's enough. You know, as long as you're above a certain line, like, it's plenty for the average person. And even if you were to say all those stats, nobody give a shit. Like, nobody would know what it means. Because nobody knows what they have anymore. At least, yeah. I mean, do you know how much RAM your phone has these days? No, I was about to ask you that exact same no, question. I don't I know, no 8, 16, something. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's enough, though. It's enough. I never run into a problem. That's all that matters. Maybe that can be the next marketing page for, for the iPhone, whatever, the 10, the 10J will be, <laughs> you know, processor speed, plenty, RAM, enough, screen, pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think we'll maybe reach that point. But yeah, I agree with the third party presenters, especially the this would be like the iPhone event. The augmented reality demos are just so <sighs> awkward with like four people playing a game around the table and everyone's yeah, just... Yeah, the feigned enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, I can't I can't deal. I just have to now avert my gaze. Now watch Sarah blast her opponent out of the sky and <laughs> in augmented Whoa, reality. Oh, gotcha. Oh, ah, big one. Score. That was lit. <laughs> Did you catch that one, teens? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fellow kids. Super lit. Wow, this is my fave. Uh, yeah, it says says the old guy. But like, I recognize the fellow kids shit because <laughs> they're the things that I intentionally avoid saying so that I don't come across as a fellow kid, you know? Yeah, well, you have self-awareness, Marshall. But yeah, I don't know. Like I said, this, is, this felt like a hobby event, but those are some of my favorite ones because usually they're few and far between and the advances are 
major. They're not just a small upgrade of like, oh, now it's a little bit faster and we put an X after the chip name and or increased every number by one. Right. Uh, one interesting thing, I, I think there's still information coming out about this, but I read that the MacBook Air, so it has the new T2 chip, which is their sort of security chip that's going to start rolling out into across more devices. But someone wrote an article that said this chip in combination with a physical switch in the macbook air will deactivate the microphone whenever the lid is closed so the lid's closed and something mechanically will disconnect the microphone from being able to record so the process of closing the screen flips the switch yeah and i think i don't even know if that's confirmed uh i think i was just reading the sort of like tech rumor mill but it, it, this was uh, in related in relation to the t2 chip is this security push and privacy push from from apple which if all of this is true and they're they're able to do that and, and if eventually they can basically make it impossible to spoof the webcam camera light that's a huge win because those are the things that people today are paranoid about right is my mic and camera recording me without the software telling me otherwise yeah i think the the closed laptop open microphone thing is the most scary mm-hmm. right because that's when you feel most safe oh it's off you know yeah. Yeah. The, the the screen's closed. It can't possibly be listening to me. Right. I mean, you don't have to worry about it seeing you, but you do, you do have to worry about it listening. And something I'd never thought about until you just mentioned it. Thank you for the paranoia, Brian. Much appreciated. <laughs> well, just get that new MacBook Air and you're going to be safe as can be. Yeah. Yeah. My only worry is that it takes a while for those to become available for the for the employee upgrade program so yeah, yeah. i might have to continue waiting another several months you know one last thing we should move on from the apple event but one last thing i wanted to call out is now if you sort of go through the the apple lineup of of products uh, the hardware products they are lots and lots of square and sharp corners uh, so now the ipad the macbooks and one could hope that the iphones might see that sort of hardware refresh maybe going back to the iphone 5 sort of finish yeah four or five four or five sharp corners a little boxier but might you know sit a little more flush diamond cut chamfers <laughs> yes that is uh certainly a trend now i think you know the watch seems like it makes sense to keep that pretty smooth since it sits on your skin but the other devices are definitely sharp corners i'm cutting my wrists on my macbook as we speak yeah yeah i always have a line on my wrists after i'm done using my laptop for a while but this has been a problem for a while right like yeah in order to get that smooth transition from the body to the to the screen you got to have a sharp corner there on both sides but one of the things uh, I was thinking about with the iPad in relation to this topic is the bezels are so much smaller the area between the edge of the screen and the edge of the device is so much thinner which if you remember the original iPad had gigantic bezels I'm not sure if it was like a, a marketing ploy thing or you know just like a um a retcon yeah we meant to do this because it's a feature not a bug but the the bezels were huge and the reason they said the reason steve pointed that out is because if you're reading it like a magazine you got to have somewhere to put your thumb where you're gonna where you're gonna touch if you if you're touching the screen you might accidentally tap something you didn't mean to so we give you these big fat bezels this new ipad does not have big fat bezels and the edges are such that it looks like it'll be hard to hold on to without touching the screen in some way. Now, I think they've done some software stuff to make it so that it ignores those edge presses. That would be my first assumption is software learned how to ignore that. Yeah, so it probably won't be a problem, but I'm interested to see how that feels when mine arrives in a, in a couple of weeks here. Cool. Yeah, we can... We'll do a follow-up there, I guess, uh, same as we did with the the watch. But I love that form factor, that iPhone 4, iPhone 5, flat on both sides with 
uh, on all sides with just a little chamfer around the edges. Like that's that's a nice. It feels nice, and it feels it actually feels more high end. Right. Uh, than the rounded corners, which is kind of strange. But if anything, it's it's a change. Like I don't mind if even if they go back to something that they've done before, I think the change is, is value in itself. Perhaps this will rub a lot of people the, lo- the wrong way. But I think there is something refreshing about just having a new form factor with a different aesthetic that you can look forward to having. And certainly from Apple's marketing perspective, if it sells more devices, that's good for them. So well, I think that's the thing they ran into with the six through eight. Eight, yeah. Problem was like, you know, you're charging damn near a thousand dollars for the entry level of this phone and you haven't like what are you cha- what are you doing like what are you changing nothing has changed that it's the same bodies like you're probably just repurposing the exact same machining and everything any leftovers from the previous model get get used on the new ones why am i paying a thousand dollars for this thing if you're not doing any r&d to update the body so yeah i think it justifies that insane sticker price a little bit better yeah yeah but yeah it was a good good event i, I like that they're long i wish half an hour of it wasn't those third-party presentations but for the most part, I thought it was a it was a good event. I loved all the little Apple variations of the logo at the beginning. That was so cool. What a what a nice way. And they do this anyways. Every event they have, you know, a, a different interpretation of the Apple logo to tie into whatever the theme of the event is. But this time they did a shit ton of them. There was like sixteen or something. And they had uh, animations and colors. I, I assume it was probably like different artists that they brought in to like make a cool logo with animation, right? Yeah, my first thought was like they commissioned a bunch of different artists and each one just had a ton of fun just fucking around doing whatever was best in their style. I love that stuff. Well, they look great. But uh, let's do some cool things. What's your cool thing, Brian? Let's do it. Okay, so I'll share this website. It's Justin O'Bierne. Oh, man. Justin O'Bierne, is how I'm guessing his name's pronounced, but he has written several articles in the past all about mapping systems in software. And he writes a lot about uh, Google Maps and Apple Maps. And he had a very well-known article that, that went around last year called A Year of Google and Apple Maps. Uh, anyways, he just published a new article called Apple's New Map. And these articles are just so fun to go through because it is incredibly detailed, precise uh, before and after analysis of how mapping technology is changing. And this time it's digging into Apple's upgrades and how they've uh, improved not only the map itself, but also starts to speculate about how they're gathering data, how that compares to how Google gathers data, where they're using software and machine learning to guess at things that, that might be in a certain place. And there's just tons of GIFs that sort of flip back and forth between, you know, here's the old and the new, pointing out the, the specific changes in the terrain and the way the buildings are mapped. He goes through and he finds things that are incorrect. Like he he spends a lot of time looking at the, the skyline view of cities. What's the angled view where you can actually see the height of the buildings? Yeah, it's like 3D view or something. Like flyover or something. Yeah, flyover. That's it. But he goes and he'll compare it to satellite imagery and see, oh, like here's here's where a mistake was made. Here's where a building isn't the right height. So this is just incredibly detailed work, which I think is super fun to to read because knowing that a person out there probably spent dozens of hours putting together this article about Apple Maps just kind of makes me smile. So uh, we'll have a link to this in the show notes. But if you have a few minutes, it's fun to go through. And from a mapping technology perspective, I'm, I'm just always totally blown away that this stuff exists and that we've built technology to plot every possible corner of, of the earth accessible on your freaking phone. It, it's really amazing. And, and the blog post covers that. So it's called Apple New Apple Maps. Apple's new map, but the slug is New Apple Maps. Yeah, this is, this is really cool. I love 
this type of comparison from old to new. This is a little bit less sexy than some of the stuff I like that's old to new, like <laughs> uh-huh. UI. But yeah, they add a lot of green. There's a lot of green. I'm not sure what the green signifies, but it's where grass is. They got their grass mapping down. But it was saying that they, they probably are now inferring from satellite imagery where there's different densities of vegetation. So that's why they were able, able to add more green. But he was showing like you can zoom in really far and see green in between tiny little segments of sidewalk and, and highway and things like that, which was wasn't there before so they're getting very accurate with it uh so yeah that's it for me all right that was a cool thing good job brian well done thank you i did a cool thing <laughs> and it's kind of new it's kind of new <laughs> yeah actually actually new uh mine is not new Ikbin. it is cool but it is not new my cool thing is called keyboard maestro if you are a keyboard shortcut guru such as myself you, you will get a lot of fun out of this app, it opens up so many more possibilities. So if you do keyboard shortcuts, you probably know that there is a, a system level, OS level keyboard shortcut overwriting tool in, in the keyboard section of system preferences. There's a tab at the top that says application shortcuts, and you can redefine or define new shortcuts based on their menu title. I think every app that has keyboard shortcuts will allow you to override using the system one, but this allows you to string those together with macros and create keyboard shortcuts that do multiple things back to back. That's what a macro is. So for example, so one of the things that I do regularly in Sketch is I duplicate a group that I'm currently working on to create kind of an iteration off of it without destroying the original in case I want to go back to it. So what you normally have to do is you have to duplicate the group, hide the original, and then go back to the to the dupe to, to start editing it. And that's, that's three steps. And the uh, keyboard shortcut I've chosen to initiate this macro is Command-Shift-D instead of Command-D, which is your normal duplicate. So I, I call it duplicate and hide below, which basically says hide this thing, duplicate it, and then unhide the new one. But it's just one keyboard shortcut, and I, I, I get... Uh, right to my variation immediately. But you can do all sorts of crazy shit with this. As long as there is a menu item for something that has a name, you can create a, a keyboard shortcut for it. Which brings me to a little pet peeve I have with the new Sketch 52. I don't know if you've noticed this, Brian, but it drives me fucking nuts. So the universal shortcut for hiding an application on Mac is... Command-H. Yes, Command-H. That is also the keyboard shortcut that Sketch has chosen for hide layer in Sketch 52. Interesting. Yeah, Figma makes it Command-Shift-H to hide a layer. And I'm not sure what it used to be because I overrode that keyboard shortcut a long, long time ago because it never made sense to me because Command-H is supposed to be hiding the application and I try to have my keyboard shortcuts be universal between things so I don't have it. One keyboard shortcut isn't one thing in one app. It means something totally different in another app just so my brain stays relatively sane right. as much as possible. So this command H thing really ground my gears, Brian. So, <laughs> And the reason they changed it to command H is because now the menu item for hide layer, show layer is, is different. So it used to be hide layer and show layer, hide layers and show layers. Those are the four options. So if you had more than one selected, it was layers or you know just a single one, it was layer. But now it actually calls out the number of layers that you have selected. So it will be hide two layers, show two layers. And there's no way to macro override that. those. Yeah. W- yeah, macro that without having a billion different variations up to as many things as you want to have selected at any given time. No way I'm doing that. So sometimes I will hit my normal keyboard shortcut 
which if you're curious is command shift minus. That's what I used to show and hide. And it doesn't matter. It used to not matter whether it was one layer or a billion. It was always the same keyboard shortcut. But now I, I will hit that keyboard shortcut and it doesn't fucking work. And I have to go, oh, right. Yeah, I have to hit command H. Is it going to hide it? And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. Oh, no. Is it, it going to hide the application? And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's a nightmare. Drives me nuts. And I really hope that they fix this. Yeah, tweet at the sketch team. Yeah, I haven't had any time recently to do it. I'll put in a bug report or something or feature request. I'm not sure what that would be. Can I quickly call out, since we're talking about the interesting world that is keyboard shortcuts, something buck wild that I saw last week that they're shipping on Chrome? Maybe you know about this. Last week, I went to quit Chrome. How do you quit something on a Mac, Marshall? Command Q or Command W for a tab? So Command Q, the universal operating system level way to quit an application. Chrome is now shipping with a modification of that behavior, where if you press Command Q, a little toast appears over the middle of your screen that says press and hold command q to quit chrome so you can no longer tap to quit chrome you have to press and hold for i think i don't know it feels like about uh one second that you have to hold it before chrome will quit so don't try this while we're recording marshall uh (laughs) please just in case you don't have that that update but you know i think it's really interesting when software overrides these sort of operating system level commands and especially when they involve like a new interaction pattern like it's not as though they're saying if you tap command q will confirm that you want to quit they've just totally disregarded a pro user's intent here right so maybe there's a way to disable that as a pro user who could you know more often than not know when they're going to tap q but to to totally override that behavior and make it a longer gesture for something that you do quite frequently felt bad that was my initial reaction yeah, that's bizarre. There's one other case I can think of where this does exist, which is the power button on your MacBook. You can't, every other key on your MacBook, you can just tap and it will work, but the power button you have to hold. And the reason for that is so that you don't accidentally do it. Yeah. So the reason for is the same, right? Like they obviously had a billion reports of people accidentally losing tabs and losing typed content well they shouldn't though because when you reopen chrome it reopens all your tabs if you have you know that's a setting though you can turn that off it should yeah yeah so they they have all these other workarounds for that problem and so my my reopen all tabs from last session exactly either people didn't know about that or people just kept losing content over and over and over again and finally somebody at the on the chrome team stepped in and said all right we're just going to make it impossible to quit this application on accident i mean there's always the stoplight Right. You can always hit the red button. That's hard to do accidentally. Pretty small click area. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that would be the the most straightforward slow flow way though. No, that doesn't even quit it. Hitting the red stop button doesn't quit the application. Just closes the it just closes window. the window, yeah. Can you hold the red button? <laughs> what if that quits it? <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna try it now while we're recording. Yeah, probably a good idea. But yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know about that and that does sound like a bad change to me. I'll have to play around and see if you can disable that. I almost never quit. I almost never turn off my computer and I almost never quit Chrome, which is bad because it uses like 10 gigs of RAM usually. (laughs) All of it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, back to this keyboard maestro thing. Uh, A couple of things. that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was the thing. (laughs) Yeah, I was talking about a thing before you hijack the conversation, Brian. You jerk. I'm just kidding. Like I said, it can do macros for keyboard shortcuts. That's probably the most common use case I would expect for the average person to use it for. But there are 
other crazy things you can do, like when you do certain things or when certain things happen, you can have the this will inform you, like given a state, for example. So like every other time that you hit hide or show, it'll tell you, you can have it tell you what it actually did in a little pop-up window. You can have it click on specific parts of the screen. So if you have a flow where you need to click on a button in the corner and then a, click on a button down here, and it's the same redundant flow over and over and over again, you can set it to click in a specific region and it will just take over and do that stuff for you when you, when you hit a specific keyboard shortcut. Cool, yeah. Lots of really cool stuff. You can have shortcuts apply to multiple applications. So for example, I have a sketch folder that contains a bunch of sketch shortcuts and those shortcuts apply to both sketch and sketch beta. So I don't have to do them twice for everything. Oh, nice. That's really yeah. nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool things in this and and I think it's maybe how much is it? Oh, God, it's $36. Okay, so it's pretty expensive. <laughs> it's $36. I don't know if I've ever renewed it. I think one and done. So yeah, this is a pretty expensive one. So maybe if you don't use keyboard shortcuts and don't find a lot of utility in those, don't spend your money on this. You know what hurts, though? I clicked through the uh, buy a license and the website is Stairways Software, excellence in software for only, only, over 10 years. Uh, it is red text on a dark blue background. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, Holy this shit! Is, this is programmer art for sure. Yeah, um, not not good. Uh, which not is inspiring yeah. confidence. No, and that's yeah. Th that's something definitely to point out is that the the application itself is very programmery and that it is functional but not aesthetically pleasing. But sometimes that is a boon to the thing itself because. Yeah, sure, maybe it's not pretty, but there was no effort spent in making it pretty. All the effort was spent in making it fucking work, and it really fucking works. Yeah. Anyways, Keyboard cool. Maestro, highly recommended if you are if you are a keyboard shortcut maestro, such as myself. Yeah. Well, links in the show notes, as always, people. Indeed. All right. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up. Huge thank you to you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. We welcome the tweets. Marshall and I both read them. We both have access to the Design Details account so we can reply to you and get questions and things like that. So hit us up. We're on Twitter. I'm watching. We're always watching. <laughs> thank you so much to Sarah and Drew, our producers and editors who make this podcast possible. We're actually putting this one together a little bit uh, on a shorter timeline than usual. So extra thank you this week to Sarah and Drew. If you want more shows, also produced by Sarah and Drew, you can go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you we've got lots of shows putting out tons of new content every week that's at spec.fm and of course if you are enjoying the show or have been enjoying it for a while we really really appreciate itunes reviews tweets uh anything that that sort of spreads the word and helps new people discover the show that means a lot to us we read all those and we really appreciate the feedback and the constructive criticism when when it comes in so to anyone who's done that thank you and if you are enjoying the show we would love to see a, a review or a tweet sweet Good one, Brian. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me again. This As was, always, uh, Marshall. Was a fun one. A real pleasure, and I learned something new. Uh, sycophant. <laughs> I learned sycophant, and I learned another two words, and then I learned about the mountain of stupidity of which I, I primarily reside. Mm -hmm. Dunning Kruger. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's a that's a good one to keep in mind. That's a good one. All right. Self editing. Well, uh, we'll see you next week, Marshall. I'll I'll actually be in San Francisco. Yeah. No more robot voice, please. Thank you. You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>